Uh, it's actually my privilege that you guys would even have me. And, um, you know, I mean, how many people got on the call? 33 people on a Friday night when it's, uh, if you're in Melbourne, I'm, well, I'm so used to talking to people all over the place. So you are in Melbourne, right? Um, yep. It's bucketing down with rain. Like, seriously, what just happened? We went from like two beautiful days to this. Melbourne's schizophrenic. But, you know, it really is a privilege uh, of mine to have you guys gather and to even be willing to hear what it is that's uh, on my heart. So thank you. Thank you for the invite. And you know what? Seriously, you guys are legends. The fact that you're gathering and still doing community, even in what I would say is probably the toughest thing that our generation has been through, right? Um, I'll say your generation, actually, because I'm very old. You can clearly see it through what I like to call wisdom in my beard. Um, hey, I thought before I begin, let's pray. Um, so let's join me as we as we pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, I want to thank you for the fact that you promise in your word where two or three gather in your name, there you are in our midst. And so Lord, I just pray now that um, as I share what I believe is for these guys and uh, as we spend some time even just chatting through it, that it would just be so evident that you are here, that you are active and you are present. And so I just pray that you anoint this time in your mighty name. Amen. All right. So, hey, I was super excited to hear that you guys are, are kind of doing this big discussion in this series on, you know, being God's hands and feet, mission, and trying to think through some of these things. And it's been a real, um, a, a real to hot topic of mine for, for literally, you know, more than two decades now. To give you a bit of a, a history of kind of where I've been, um, I grew up on the mission fields in Papua New Guinea, and um, and so that actually literally translated as I just didn't wear shoes the first nine years of my life. And I just played with all these little pick and andies in the bush. And it was awesome. I've got incredibly flat feet now that are a little bit like leather. And I attribute all of that to the fact that my parents didn't give me shoes. Um, my dad actually died when I was nine years of age after a five year battle of cancer. And I mean, it was an incredibly tragic shaped part of my life. And we came back to Australia uh, where we kind of put down roots and just went through this crazy season. Um, I ended up, was really messed up as a teenager after losing, losing my dad and ended up being in gangs. Um, it's a very long story, which I'll tell you some other time if you ever have me back. But, um, you know, Jesus broke into my life when I was about 18 years of age and just totally changed everything. It was a total reset of the dials. And I'm so incredibly grateful that he did that. You fast forward a little bit further, I ended up doing an apprenticeship as a professional golfer and um, I missed out on the Aussie Open by one shot and lost my sponsorship after trying for about five years to break through onto the circuit. And it was a heartbreaking moment. Um, I had about uh, 12 months leading up to that point in time where every time I rocked up to the church, I felt God saying, I want you to do an internship at the church. And I kept saying, no, I'm not interested. And, um, and literally, I remember that day that I, I missed out on the Aussie Open by a shot. The sponsor had come to me and just said, hey, you, you're done. Um, we'll pick up the tab for this year, but next year you're on your own. I was heartbroken. I went to church that night. And one of the pastors, it was quite a big church, one of the pastors gets up the front and he says, hey, um, we have this internship and it's just closed. But if there's anyone here that is really feeling like they should be doing this, come and talk to us and, um, you know, we'll put it up. My heart was pounding in my chest. And I was just like, no, nah, God, if you want me to do this, make it really obvious. So I, I didn't go. I just ignored it. So I'm sitting on my, on my steps the next morning, on Monday morning, eating breakfast, sunshine going, depressed as all get out, thinking, what am I going to do? And the pastor rides his push bike up my driveway. 
And he gets off and he says to me, hey, this morning in my quiet time, I felt God say that I had to come and give you this. And he hands me the internship papers. So I was just like, all right, God, if this is what you want, make it really, really clear. No, <laughs> I signed up. I did this internship that lasted like nine months. It was supposed to go for a couple of years. And in the nine-month mark, the church came to me and said, hey, we're going to stop your internship and we're going to instead employ you and we're going to pay for you to go to Bible college. I ended up being a pastor at that church for eight years, then another church for, you know, a, another five years. And then um, OM, which is Operation Mobilization, uh, a missions organization that's in 110 countries, um, they came to me and said, hey, we'd like you to be our CEO for, um, for Australia. And at the time, I was only, I was only 34. And I, I just went, nah, that's not right. What are you guys doing asking me that? That's just ridiculous. I'm too young, no experience in this. My only experience of real missions is, you know, growing up in the missions field, which was my dad. So I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, that was eight incredible years of just seeing God work in the most extraordinary contexts and meeting the most incredible people and, and really wrestling with this idea of missions, the church, what we're doing, how we've separated it out, um, some of the unhelpful things that we've seen in this space. Um, I finished up that uh, three years ago and then have now I've been working at World Vision for the last couple of years. I took some time off in between the two roles. And, um, and World Vision just kind of is bigger again than what OM was. It's, uh, it's humongous. But it's been an incredible privilege to actually, again, step into another organization that does incredible things around the world and has had a really long legacy. So, um, you know, what I want to share with you guys tonight, I hope that background was okay. And, and honestly, if you guys have any questions or even as I'm speaking, if these things are popping up, feel free to put it in the chat. I'll probably ignore it as I'm speaking, but I'll certainly be interested in coming back after and, and kind of trying to unpick it with you. And I mean, hopefully we'll have time. I'm notorious for talking way too long, so I'll do my best to keep it as short as I can. But, you know, at this time, very happy to have a bit of a question and answer time if it helps you. Okay, so um, what I want to actually speak to you guys about today is, is something that's really close to my heart around this whole topic of missions, right? Because what we need to, to kind of realize, and, and I had this moment in my own life where there was this a very specific time, which I'm going to tell you about in a moment, of God just breaking through and reminding me of something. You know, we, we have this kind of picture in our head where we have this really strong belief when we grow up in the church or when we come to faith and we land in a community because the church has shaped this idea around us that, that almost that mission is something that we're called to. And, and I mean, we see it, like even in OM, right? You're surrounded by these incredibly passionate evangelical Christians who just want to spread the, the, the good news of Jesus. And it's so inspiring to see what they do with their lives. But if you really break it down and you look at it, in the last hundred years, we've only ever had 2% of what we call the church globally engaged in what we define as mission. Because mission, as we define it, and even though we know more than this, our definition of it is a very narrow kind of portal. So if we take that stat for a moment and we think about it, there's other two things going on. One or two things going on. One, um, mission is unaccessible, right? And unsustainable and it's probably gone as a day. Or secondly, the church is incredibly, incredibly blind to opportunities and success. And I, I want to put it to us that actually both of those things may be true, but there is probably some different framing that we need to understand about who God is and what our belief needs to be about 
humans in general. My, my question I want you to just sit with for a moment is what do you believe to be true about human beings on this planet? What do you believe to be true? Are they, are they scary? Are they evil? Are they horrendous? Or are they actually good? Are they all searching for something? Are they trying to find purpose and meaning about the very existence that they find themselves in? Because I actually had this sneaking suspicion that every person on the planet has more in common and more to be celebrated together than we do to try and separate at all. And the problem with some of the, some, some of the churches throughout history is that instead of finding those things that unite us as a humanity, what we've done is we've gathered in our own kind of tribes in a way that actually makes us feel safe and secure and identify those people who believe something similar to us so that we can feel safe with them without fear of rejection, without fear of, of our opinion or our worldview being pulled apart. And I wonder if we've lost some of the richness and beauty that God has created in the diversity of humanity. So the moment I had in this, because just hold on to that belief question for a moment, I'm going to come back to it. The moment I had that, that I want to share with you, which totally changed my outlook on, on all of humanity, was this idea, um, which the Bible introduces as um, the image of God. In the Latin, it's, it's the Imago Dei. And I, I love this concept, right? That God has made every single person on the planet in his image. He has... He has imparted something of himself in every person that is breathing. I, I mean, just stop and think about that for a moment. God, the creator, God, who we know, God, who loves us, loves us so much that he put part of himself in every person, in you and in me. That is phenomenal. So I'll tell you this moment in time where it really sank in. As I mentioned before that, um, when I started, well, when Owen approached me, I was only 34 years of age. Ha I happened to be the same age that my dad was when he first got cancer. Um, and so he died at the age of 39, which is incredibly young, right? <clears throat> so at 34, I remember waking up on my 34th birthday and I was bawling my eyes out. And I was just so sad and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And, um, you know, after doing a bit of reflection and soul searching, I, I came to this very clear realization. He said, before my dad died, he'd written me a letter. And in the letter, he'd put all his hopes and his dreams for my life. And, you know, he, he'd just written it down. He just penned it. It was amazing. But what I didn't realize, and I was, only, I was only, you know, eight and a half, almost nine when I got it. But what I didn't realize is that letter had had such an impact on me that I couldn't get it out of my head. And almost, you know, subconsciously, I'd worked my way through that letter and almost Checked off, checked off everything that was that was written down. And by the age of 34, I'd pretty much achieved all the things that was his hopes and dreams. And I realized the reason I was so sad is that I really wanted to hear my dad say that he was proud of me. And it broke my heart that I was never going to have that chance. You know, and being being a minister, I, I tried to actually put that into some into some shaping. And I kept saying to God, <clears throat> could you could you take this feeling away from me? I know that the only thing I need to try and chase is is knowing that you're proud of me, that, that I'm, I'm good before you, that I'm righteous and I'm walking with you. But I just couldn't shake this very human desire to hear my dad, who I loved dearly and missed severely, say, hey, son, I'm really proud of you. So I started praying this stupid prayer. And, and the first part of it was, God, if I know time's short, it can be taken at any moment. And so if there's more for me, um, 
show me and give me the courage to say yes. And secondly, um, please take this feeling away from me. You know, um, let it be about what you think of me, not about what my dad is feeling about me. Anyway, so this went on for a few months. And in the midst of this, I got invited to go and speak at a large church in Adelaide and they, uh, they were having their 50th year celebration and, and they literally just said, hey, can you come in and speak? And the pastor there was a good friend of mine and he decided, hey, he's going to work me pretty hard for the weekend. So I walk in there and, and literally on the Friday night, I'm doing this like, you know, outreach event. Saturday morning, I've got a leadership development thing. Saturday night, there's, there's another like, they had this, you know, church has talent type thing that I was speaking at. Sunday morning, two services, a pastor's lunch on the Sunday lunchtime and then two services at night. So by the time I'd finished, I was wrecked. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but, but if you've spoken that much over the course of the weekend, by the time you've kind of finished, you just feel like you're zonked. I, I, I would class it as I wasn't fit for human consumption by that point in time. I just wanted to, to curl up in a ball and be protected and not talk to anyone at the end of it. But anyway, I, I sit down at the end of the last service and, um, and this guy comes and he just sits just that little bit too close. You know, it's kind of like, oh man, seriously, why are you sitting so close to me? Like, can't you just give me a little bit of room? Like I'm off the stage, I'm hot and I'm sweaty and I don't feel like talking to you. Please don't talk to me. Anyway, in that moment, the Holy Spirit just said to me, hey, I've got a gift for you. Turn around and shake this man's hand. So I was like, oh, okay. So I lean over and I say, hi, I'm Noddy. And uh, I put out my hand. He says, yeah. Yes, I, I, when I was 19, I, I went to Papua New Guinea on this work party. And your dad was the first person there that I met. And he actually flew me around the place and stayed with me. I was doing there. His dad took me under his wing and he was just so lovely to me. And he modeled Jesus to me. He said, in fact, it shaped my faith so much that I came back and thought if I could be anything like your dad, I would do my best to do so. He said, and I want to tell you something. He said, I've listened to you speak all weekend. I've watched how you interact with people. I've watched the person you are and the, and the man you've become. And a lot of what I saw in your dad, I see in you. And I just want you to know he'd be really proud. So the minute he said that, and I just burst into tears. I, I was just like, wow. And a guy looked at me like he'd just stepped on some sort of landmine. And so I had to tell him the whole story and I just hugged him and said, you have no idea how much God just used you in this moment to speak to me. And, you know, I mean, it was a beautiful moment. Anyway, I'm, I get on the plane, I'm flying back to Melbourne. And as I'm sitting there, normally I have this incredible gift, which was so great with the amount of travel I've done over the last two decades. The minute the plane takes off, I fall asleep. All right. And so like literally before it even lifts off the runway, I'm out. And so I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, sleep's coming. And all of a sudden the plane takes off and I'm still wide awake. I'm like, oh, that's weird. What's, what's going on here? And I just, again, felt almost like a nudge of God. You know that, I kind of, it's hard to describe. You know that moment where you just feel God speaking to your heart, to your spirit. It's almost like you're having this conversation, but it's not like you're hearing voices. I wasn't going crazy, but there was just these thoughts popping into my brain that clearly weren't my own. It was almost like God was just like dropping them in there. And the thoughts kind of went like this. They went, hey, that's pretty amazing that that guy could see so much of your dad in you. And I was like, yeah, that is absolutely incredible. You know, and also amazing that you only knew your dad for nine years. And yet that 
that pattern, the sameness about him still sits in you. I was like, yep, that's incredible. And it was just like this thought, well, that's, that's the power of DNA. That's, that's DNA is incredible. That these patterns, even speech patterns and all these things, mannerisms can just be handed down through DNA. And then it was almost like this pause in my mind. And then God said, you want to know what's more powerful than DNA? Like what? He said, my image. My image. Because you only knew your dad for nine years. But I've known you since the beginning of time. I've known you before you were even thought of. I knew of your existence coming and I had a plan for you. And that plan involved my image being absolutely deposited into your life. And you are not alone. Every person on the planet I've known of their existence coming. I know their name. I know how many hairs they have on their head or in my case, how many hairs you don't have on your head. I know all of these intimate things about them because they carry part of who I am. You know, in that moment, something changed for me. I, I stopped thinking about, you know, who's in and who's out, like how, how this story is supposed to unfold in the church and mission and, and, and what we need to do. And I started thinking about the fact that every person on this planet is seen by God, carries his image, is breathing his name, and has a part to play in telling his story. And, you know, that, that is the power of what, Jesus is for this world, that that beautiful story of redemption, that beautiful story of, of things being made right again in the world is about the coming together of people and understanding that they have been created in the image of God for him, by him, to be able to achieve what he wants to do in this world because everything in the creation belongs to God. You know, so when we start thinking about mission within that context, it changes the way in which we view this, right? It comes back to that idea of belief. What do you actually believe? Because if you believe that every person is valuable, if you believe that God has deposited his image in them, then it changes, has to change the way that you see them. No longer do they become scary and evil. No longer do they become actually just, you know, valuing their own self-interest. They actually start to become a beautiful, wondrous, magnificent creation by God that deserves to be celebrated, deserves to be loved, that deserves to find their way, that deserves to know the tr truth about who they are. And when we start to see people through that lens, it just means that mission isn't something necessarily that we then have the option to choose to do. It actually becomes this incredibly God-given mandate for his story to actually come out. You know, if you look at the Bible, if you look at the way that it works, the narrative that runs through it, you know what God does? It's so clever. He puts his finger on a person, you know, he starts with Adam and Eve, and then he just starts drawing it wider and wider and wider. And, you know, you get to the, the to Jesus coming, and part of the beautiful thing of this is Jesus makes the narrative so wide that he's including Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, every person on the planet. It's almost like God is just drawing the circle bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know what? If he did that throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, what makes us think he stopped that now? He hasn't. He hasn't stopped. His circle just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and it's almost like our, our job is to keep up. Our job is to keep changing our view, shifting our belief in order to be able to keep including people into that plan time and time again. One of the things that frustrates me about this idea of mission in the church is that we often talk about mission as something we're called to. And I want to say to you guys that mission is not something we're called to. It's not, you know, for a very select few people, 
that, that have this incredible experience where kind of God turns up and the booming voice of God comes into their life and says, Shady, I want you to go to Egypt. You know, I mean, that's my best God voice. Shady, what do you think? Pretty good? Nah. Anyway, you know, but, but that, that, that voice of God speaking into your life that calls you into a remote place, that, that's hardly anyone. It's literally 2%. And it's, it's not what we want to see happen. If, if you're waiting for God to speak to your life, that you're going to be waiting probably a long time. And I think that it's such an unhelpful phrase, this idea that we're called to mission. I want to put it to you, the mission isn't something you're called to. Mission is something you've actually been created for. You know, Ephesians 3 talks about the fact that we are God's masterpiece. We have been created for him and by him and for the good works that he's prepared for us in advance to do. What that's really saying is that God didn't make you by accident just to sit you in the wings to be able to say, just hang, hang until you're ready. Hang until I think that you're ready. And then you'll hear my voice call you into something, something cool, something good. No, God created you with pleasure, with purpose. He created you with joy in his heart and he deposited part of himself in you so that in every conversation, in every interaction, in every way that you step forward, there is something of him that's already at work. There's something of him already available in you. There is this thing that you have been destined to do, and that is to be you. It is to be you and point to his kingdom in every aspect, in every sphere, in every moment of your life. That's the joy of actually being on mission. That you're not waiting for it to actually happen. It's already occurring. This comes back to my question to you. What do you believe? Because when you believe that you've been created for his purpose, for his pleasure, when you believe that you've been created for his mission, then all of a sudden it just means that you are far more intentional about living your best life. You are far more intentional about pointing to his kingdom. You are far more intentional about being a vessel for him. You are far more intentional about actually telling the truth in every aspect when someone just has their wires crossed about who they are and they're confused about how things work. You will be a voice of truth because you recognize that a piece of God is in you and a piece of God is in the person you're talking to. And it is desperate to connect. Desperate. It just changes the way in which we view mission. You know, and I think this is where we start to kind of think about this, this notion of what, what does this look like? And, and, and I, I want to tell you this crazy word I've come across, right? So we had this moment the other, other week and, you know, we, we try and do funny lockdown games with my little boy, you know, who's eight. And there's this old school game that came out called Boulder Dash, the hilarious bluffing game. And, I don't, you know, you got probably way too young. You've probably never even seen it. But really what it is, it's, it's you get a list of words. And in these words, there's all these, you know, uh, the actual meaning. And they're weird words. And then what you have to try and do is you have to try and make up your own meaning and bluff everyone else to believe that your meaning is the meaning for that word. And then you read them all out and someone, you have to try and guess what it is. It's quite fun. Anyway, we didn't have Boulder Dash. So I thought I oh, will just make it up. And so I, I was like scrolling through and I'm trying to find words that I could, you know, that are a bit obscure. And I come across this word called, called sonda. And sonda, the definition of sonda is this. It's the revelation you have when walking past a perfect stranger that their life is as extraordinary and beautiful and wondrous as your own. And I mean, that, it just stopped me in my tracks. I was like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. That's what we need. We need more people to actually be continually experiencing Sonder. Now, what does that have to do with everything I've just talked about? 
Well, as we start to think about the idea that everyone is made in the image of God and that God actually sees them all, what it takes is it takes the sonder to occur in our lives for us to get a glimpse of what God sees in another human being. And you know what? I want to tell you why it's so hard. It is so hard to actually realize that you've been created for purpose and mission because of the fact that we are conditioned in our culture not to look for sonder, not to look for revelation in someone else's life. In fact, we have the reverse going on. The reverse is this, is that actually we have this thing, this moment where everything is positioned in our lives today to try and tell us that our lives are about the most important person in the world, which is you. It is so self-centered. It is so narcissistic in its nature and its calling. And it is so attractive to buy into. It is hard to reverse it. So I have this theory that all of us actually have what I call a me switch. And we have this me switch and it's always teetering, whether it's in the on or the off position. And I think as we're younger, we actually have bigger hearts. I see it in my eight-year-old boy. You know, he's got this big heart for people. His me switch isn't completely on yet. By the time you kind of get into your teens, you, you start to have to make choices around what it is that you're going to do. And you start to think about what am I going to do? And everything starts to build around, well, what is my life going to look like? What, what, what am I going to do that's going to serve me well? What are the hopes and dreams of everyone else around me? You know, what are the expectations on me? How do I make sure that becomes a reality? How do I not let anyone down? How do I not let myself down? You know, everything becomes this, you know, circular, self-centered conversation around yourself. By the time you get into university and you become a young adult, Man, it's, it's even worse. It's, it's to the point that it's, it's really severely said to you, you get the choice to choose now. You can choose whatever you want to do. And if it doesn't help you to achieve what it is you want to try and do, then just don't do it. You know, pick and choose what you want to turn up to. It doesn't really matter. Because if it doesn't help you, then why does it matter? You know, and, and it's such a self-centered attitude to have. And it's so countercultural to what the message of Jesus is. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, Forsake everything else at all costs, as long as you're okay. Jesus said, no, pick up your cross and follow me. Pour out your life for the sake of others. You know, choose a harder path. Because I think that even further to that message, it's not just a nice idea. Even more importantly, it's not how we've been created. When God instilled part of his image in us, what he gave us as a gift is this beautiful thing and a reminder that we have been created for community because he is three in one. He is the perfect community. And that's what is instilled in each one of us. We have been created not only for his purpose, but to not do it alone, to do it in community. And the only way you truly do community is when you stop having yourself as the center of your universe and you start inviting others to be in that space too. And that takes sonder. That takes this revelation to realize the person, even every person on this screen right now has a life that is extraordinary, as beautiful and wondrous as your own. And here is how this works. The lives that we've been created for is so much bigger than a self-centered life that only focuses around ourselves. It's so much bigger. The only way we get to really experiencing just how big it is is through that somber being willing to extend our lives to cover and intersect with other people in community. When we can do that, when we can stretch our lives out to those spaces, we start to get a glimpse of how God grabs his people and brings them together to truly change the world. My friends, 
if you don't get anything else from tonight, get this, that your life isn't about you. It's not. Because when it's about you, what it does, that actually shrinks your life to being really, really small. God has created you for a big purpose. And the way that you unlock that big purpose is that you spread your life to include so many more people, just like he's done throughout his scripture, drawing the circle bigger and bigger and bigger. When you can start to do that, your heart shifts and you start to see people differently and you start to have these moments of revelation that someone else's life is really cool and worth investing into. It will change the way in which you actually do life for the rest of your life. So I would say this to you. What does it practically look like? What does it practically look like to actually live a life of mission, to live a life of somber, to actually have your life be much bigger than it is? I think it's this. It's care. Start caring for the world. Recognize that we are really blessed to be here in Australia, even in the midst of lockdown. And there, there, are, there are kids every 10 seconds right now in East Africa that are dying of famine. And we're in 2021. There, there are people in Afghanistan that are fleeing and we see it on the news, but there's also a massive nation that have pride and dreams of their own that desperately want to stay and see those dreams come to fruition. There are people that have, will never see home again because they're so displaced and caught in refugee camps. You know, and I'm not talking just the poor, I'm talking professionals, engineers, doctors, surgeons, you know, police that are caught in these places with their family often separated from them, never to see them again, hearts broken. This is the state of our world. If we don't stop for a moment and let ourselves care, if we don't stop for a moment and recognize that they bear the image of God too, and we only focus on what's here and now, then we are in grave danger as the bride of Christ to be small and insignificant. When we allow our hearts to be broken, when we make our lives count, all of a sudden the church, Jesus' church, becomes large and unstoppable. So my challenge to you, not only care, give, advocate, be the voice for injustice, do all you can to right the wrongs. Because on the other side of that is an actual human being created in the image of God, destined for greatness, just like you and I. My hope and prayer for each and every one of you is that your sonder would be switched on and that your life would be extraordinarily large and that together we would be the church of Jesus that would absolutely bring change to our world. Bless you guys. I really appreciate you having me and listening to me for way too long. <laughs>